Lewis. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mundy Felipe. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandis. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 97. I'm your host Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Don. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the comic news and comic book reviews from July 16th through July 28th. Um, We're specifically not covering the 15th because, as you know, the last podcast we covered the Comic-Con news, which went through the 15th. So one last day. But that didn't make a big difference because there wasn't a whole lot of news that happened the last two weeks, as we also predicted in the last episode. So because of that, um, very small amount of news, but we do have a total of seven different books to cover. Batman Incorporated was officially delayed by uh, DC Comics until August uh, due to some content in uh, the timely... With it being, it was a timing issue with uh, the events uh, that happened in Colorado uh, during a midnight screening for The Dark Knight Rises. They felt it necessary to um, hold the release of Batman Incorporated due to some content until next month. So we'll be getting two issues of Batman Incorporated next month, and we'll be covering that next month instead of this episode. So. With that being said, um, let's get right into comic news. It's because I'm the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs. It's it's complicated, but it's pretty awesome when you think about it. Like I said, very small amount to go over. The very first thing we have is on July 17th, uh, Greg Capullo talked to Newsarama, and he teased his, uh, his upcoming Joker in the upcoming uh, Batman story arc, death of a family and um so for this interview i will read for newsrama and don will read for greg capullo let's talk about what's coming up in october when you heard you were drawing the joker for your next storyline in batman what was your gut reaction well as soon as i heard my pants got very tight and my nipples stiffened it was just a fabulous reaction and i just said i have to do this this is like super exciting super thrilling what artist doesn't want to touch the joker He's just the coolest and most badass, the most evil, the most insane, and there's so many, and there's so much to play with. And the fact that so much has happened to the Joker prior to where we're picking up with him, with a separate face, we're going to be able to run with that now. So did you and Scott talk about the best way to handle that severed face? We've only seen the cover, which is kind of a tease that his face is different now. Yeah, Scott and I are working on the details now of how we want to handle it. We're putting together some visuals for the story now. It's going to be very different than what people have seen with the Joker prior. Are you at all disappointed that the that he looks different, or are you able to portray enough of that Joker look that's still the character we know and love? You know, I'm happy to be doing this because I look at it as an opportunity to have fun. So no, this is going to be a blast. Let me put it this way. I would have put my own slant on the way the Joker looks traditionally anyway. Now I can go down the road of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre stuff. And I'm a heavy metal guy, so stuff like snip, Slipknot pops in my head, you know? So I'm going, yeah, something really, really dark and creepy. It amplifies it. We're turning the Joker up a notch, you know? If you can, ha- if you can turn the Joker up any higher. 
It sounds like you don't have the exact look ironed out yet, and I'm sure it's early in the process of you drawing the story, but what can you tell us about the ideas you have for the Joker storyline overall? Well, you know, Scott takes everything to 11, and so do us, do I. So it's going to be over-the-top, over-the-edge Joker stuff. I mean, everybody saw what we were able to do in the first Batman story, and this will be even more dark, more twisted, more violent. I guess after so many years of doing that kind of stuff, I guess, in a way, I enjoy it a bit. So it's going to be great to get my hooks into that stuff. All right, so that's that interview. He doesn't really reveal a whole lot other than we're going to see a newer version of the Joker pop up based off of um, the fact that his face has been severed. I'm not really super excited to see a more dark, more scary, more violent Joker because I think everybody tries to kind of do that. I mean, it'll be interesting because Scott Snyder specifically taking taking on the character and Greg Capullo. I like him as an artist. But if they're just going for, you know, let's make the Joker even more violent than he already is, I think it's sort of like overcompensating. But, uh, I mean, it's sort of like a 50-50 for me. Uh, number one, I thought that Greg Capullo was probably one of the n- more normal people of the bunch. I don't know, it gave me that idea, but I just thought, you know, he's probably a normal kind of guy until the first line of that interview. Uh, I am, I don't know if excited is sort of the word for it, but I'm at least gratified to know that the whole face arc, which I know some of us did not like, I didn't really like it, but at least that hasn't been tossed away. It's coming back again, and hopefully Snyder will deal with it in a matter that's um, better than sort of how he left it. So I think that's what I'm most interested to see. You know, why did he have his face sort of torn off? What was was the um, the thought and the motive behind that? And then what we can do to sort of go from there. And what, what are his motives behind being violent? I think it's not only about being violent, but sort of the reasons behind it. So let's hope it, it comes around to a good point. All right, so then the next bit of news we have also comes from July 17th. J.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman talked with comic book resources about working together on Batwoman and some of the things we can expect going forward. So for this interview, I will read for comic book resources, Don will read for W. Hayden Blackman, and Stella will read for J.H. Williams III. It feels like in this arc you had a realization across the board for a lot of characters, especially Jacob, who even guiltily admitted to loving his other daughter more. Do you feel he and Kate are broken in the same way, or that they need to work together as a team for their own sanity? Yes and no. I mean, the lies between the two of them are so profound and so big that it may be one of those things that could possibly always have some big impact on how they relate to each other, even if they find some way to reconcile. It's one of those things that you can't forget what was done. I think the one thing that always interested me that ties them together is that they're both suffering from tremendous survivor's guilt, even if they don't articulate articulate it that way or can't acknowledge it. Even Jacob's confession in the last issue, I think a lot of that is driven by survivor's guilt. I think a lot of what Kate does, even putting on her mask, is driven by that. Without giving away too much, what can you say about the third arc story? Are you playing on the idea that both Kate and Wonder Woman are warrior women slash soldiers? They're both warriors in their own ways, but there are some stark differences. I think for us what's been interesting is is Batwoman being in the shadow of essentially someone who's a demigod. What does that mean for her? How does she hold her own? What... How does that impact her psychologically? Then for Wonder Woman, it's teaming up with somebody who has a very strong definitive lines not to cross. Like killing, for example. 
Or I think that's a little hazier for somebody who runs around with a sword who has to be trained as a warrior. It's kind of a tricky thing. I mean, I don't want to give away too much, but ultimately, some of the things spilling over from To Drown the World will have a huge impact on where things go in the next arc. One of the things, like I was saying earlier, that we'll be exploring is Batwoman learning she has to work with others to achieve a greater goal. I think it's going to be one of the major themes here moving forward. We go back to this quote all the time. We want to, but we want there to be no status quo in the book. You don't feel that after an issue and after an arc, things went back to normal. There is no normal. Arc 3 in particular, there are some big things towards the end that will change dramatically Kate and Batwoman's life to- moving forward. That is to us really exciting to be constantly pushing forward her life based on the choices she's making. As far as the way the arc moves, the way it feels when you read it, it's going to be very different than any of the previous arcs we've done. One of the things Hayden and I very much are after is trying to get each story to feel, even though it builds off of previous stories, that each has its own weight and feel that's unique to itself. So we're trying some things that will be immediately noticeable as a difference from the previous arcs just in the way it moves and feels. All right, so that's the end of that interview. Uh, Basically... One of the things we can look forward to is Wonder Woman appearing in mm-hmm. uh, Batwoman. I'm looking forward to that. We also, they don't really talk about this, but there's that crossover where Batwoman is appearing in Batgirl next month as well, or I should say this month in August. Um, so we can expect her to pop up there. I don't know if that's going to play anywhere with what they're doing in issue 12 for Batwoman, but uh, we know that Batwoman is making her way in other books instead of just her own book. But it is interesting to see Wonder Woman pop up because I can't honestly remember the last time Wonder Woman popped up in a one of the main Batman titles. I would say I agree. I think I think it's interesting. I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to her showing him Batgirl because mm. I think a lot of people have figured that Batwoman's really not connected to Gotham or the Bat Family at all. So I want to see her interact. Kind of like she did in Batman and Robin when Dick was Batman. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, I, I feel like this is not going to play a part uh, in Batgirl. I think probably Simone is going to do her own thing, and it's not really going to build Batwoman's character as much as attempt to build Batgirl's character. I'm excited for uh, Wonder Woman to be popping in, just like the, the guys here. Uh, Wonder Woman of its own series is really good and to see these two characters interact will be really interesting and I think it's a great character to pull on because you know Batwoman is really different because she deals with a lot of sort of supernatural elements and I think even though like mythology isn't necessarily supernatural I think they're sort of along the same vein so I think that they'll they'll go together well but I can see these two like obviously yeah they have two different ideologies so it'll be interesting to see how they sort of rub up against each other and I feel like there is going to be some conflict there so I'm looking forward to it. Alright and then finally our last bit of news that we have comes on July 19th. Uh, Gary Frank the artist from Batman Earth 1 briefly talked with comic book resources about Uh, What is to come in the second volume, also known as Batman Earth 1 Volume 2. And uh, so for this interview, I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Stella will read for Gary Frank. You mentioned the first book. Have you and Jeff already started work on the next volume? We have already started talking about it. We've not put pen to paper. Well, Jeff probably has, but I'm still on Shazam, so that is taking up all of my time at the moment. But I am thinking about things and how we're going to move the character on a little bit visually and also some of the things like the Batmobile. 
Where are we going to get the Batmobile? Do we even need the Batmobile? How can we make the Batmobile? We don't want to have the store in which we're putting things in there because they need to be there just because they are within the Batman universe. Instead of saying Batman needs the Batmobile, so what does it look like? We can ask, why would Batman need a Batmobile? From that point, we can have a clearer idea of what the Batmobile should actually be. Those are the types of things we're discussing at the moment, as well as the broader strokes of the story arc. Finally, the fans want to know, have you been practicing drawing Robin? There will be no Robin in the next book, but I don't want to say any more than that. I can't really say any more than that. All right, so that's the end of that interview. So no Robin. Uh, we already know that the the Riddler will be the main villain for that uh, next volume. It, it should be interesting. I've, I've read Batman Earth 1. It is a very, very interesting book, and... Uh, we will review that book along with all of the other graphic novels from the past year in the next coming weeks, and you can look forward to that special on the Batman Universe specials. Um, but uh, I'm still thinking that it's probably going to be like 2014 before we see a volume two, if it's even 2014. I think you're definitely right about that 2014 thing. I think the focus right now is certainly uh, Volume 2 of Superman, Earth 1. I do agree with the whole... I, I think it's it's well thought out, the fact that let's not put in things just because people are expecting it to do it. Let's have like an actual reason. And I, I know everyone loves Robin, and I love Robin, and I love to see Robin on the page. But I think that if they're going to try to do something different, they really do need to... to focus on the character of Batman, so I think that's a good route to go to. I have not read this, but I am interested in Earth One, and, and I know Babs is sort of in there, and Bullock throws some eyes at her, but I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I've seen the images. Josh got a free copy. He'll have to tell you about that. Um, but it, it looks beautiful. I think Gary Frank was certainly the perfect the perfect artist to do that. And the quote from Jeff Johns at STCC was that Frank drew the hell out of it, and I think he really did. So good job there. And and I just support not rushing to put things out. I think they do need to take their time. All right. So that is all of our news. Like I said, not very much. So let's get into our very first book with Batman Beyond Unlimited, number six. Ten's not crazy. Desperate's more like it. Sounds like simple greed to me. No, she swore that it wasn't what it looked like. She meant it. I could tell. Ah, to be young again. And gullible. Batman Beyond, number six. Oh, Batman Beyond Unlimited, number six. 10,000 Clowns, part one of eight. Crooked Parallel Lines. Writer Adam Beecham, artist Norm Brayfogle, and colorist Andrew Elder. Uh, I pulled out a quote. I haven't done this, I don't think, at all on the show. Shway for you, you jitter-brained, weak-wit, cowardly, child-endangering craplet. I, I, I thought that was a great quote. The issue opens with a group of jokers from Milwaukee causing havoc on the Ostrander Skyway, a key artery for pedestrian traffic. Bruce tells Batman that the GCPD are handling the situation and they should be able to do it quite well with the new ordinance and tech that Wayne Incorporated has given them. Also low on the priority list is the pack of jokers from Sao Paulo at the water treatment plant. It'll be okay if they lose one plant. What Batman really needs to do is get to St. Caspian's Middle School. Ah, middle schoolers. A group of jokers from New Orlando want a balanced, nutritious lunch and grenades, or they'll start killing kids. 
Batman goes into action, taking out Jokers but protecting the hostages. While he takes out several, two Jokers gather some kids and use them as shields. Batman gives a peace sign, points to a Jokers, and shoots lasers into his eyes. With one Joker out, the other becomes more defensive with one red-headed kid as a shield. Batman says the other Joker will see again after the, after the lasers overloaded his optic nerves, but he threatens to fire lasers from all ten fingers, and he waits to see what will happen. The Joker thinks he is bluffing, but it is too big of a chance to take, and he lets the kid go. Batman then still knocks him out. Once Batman leaves the school, he checks to be sure the other priorities are taken care of and notes that the pilgrimage of Jokers to Gotham is getting out of hand. A sudden silence on Bruce's end has Batman concerned, but Bruce returns and asks him to come back to the cave. Terry says that he has to check in with Dana first since her brother was, at one point, a Joker. At Gotham Mercy Hospital, Dana's dad is in a coma, and Dana asks whether anything has been found out about Doug. Terry says that he has broken a lot of promises, but he is keeping this one and asks whether there is anything else he can do for her. Dana feels bad for breaking up with Terry and then coming to him, but Terry is just happy to be with her and feels like an idiot for putting Dana in a position where she could break up with him in the first place. To be continued. All right, Batman Beyond Unlimited number six, the Batman chapters. Um, well, there, there was a little bit happening, it really just, the overall book, let me, let me start by saying this, the overall book, Batman Beyond Unlimited number six, included, I think, two chapters of the Superman Beyond, Superman Beyond was the, the, uh, the one that got the majority of the, the weeks of digital releases this month, so the Justice League Beyond and the Batman Beyond chapters were, were not nearly as long as the Superman Beyond chapters. That being said, the Batman Beyond chapters, the interesting thing that happened was that we're setting up this new storyline. It's involving the the 10,000 Jokers that we've, we've, it's been hinted at since the series started, but now it's coming to, you know, its peak where all of these Jokers from all over the world have come to Gotham to do something. We don't know if it's actually Dana's brother who's actually leading all of these Jokers. It's been implied, but we don't know that for sure. Um, basically, this is just really an opening sequence with a lot of action that's setting up, you know, as it's stated, eight parts of this of this actual storyline. So this is going to be happening for at least, I'd say, five to six months. Um, either way, it, it's definitely interesting that... Uh, Dana seemed well. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. It's not really that interesting that Dana goes back to Terry so easily because she did go to him for help. I understand why she did it, but now it, I can't figure out if they're actually going to get back together or not. It would only make sense if they did, um, because now suddenly Terry's showing all of this compassion and caring. It's also interesting that Bruce is completely okay with Terry going to, you know, see how Dana's doing instead of going back to the Batcave right away. The one little catch that I caught was the comm unit for Bruce goes out at a point, and then he comes back a second later, and it's obvious that the comm unit went out. So I'm trying to figure out what that's foreshadowing. I can't figure it out yet. Um, the art by Norm Brayfogle I thought was, was really good, spot on, when Batman was on the page. I still think he's having a little bit of trouble when it's just Terry and Dana and stuff. The, the faces are differing panel to panel. I'm not real sure why. It's nothing like 
you know, our, the the slight complaint that I had in the past about it looking a lot like the Archie characters, but it's just for some reason the people when Batman's in the panels looks look different and a little bit more you know classic Norm Braithwaite compared to when it's just Terry and Dana in those few panels. Um, that set aside, the the other thing that I just want to throw out there is um, if you are reading the other. The other elements of this Batman Beyond Unlimited, such as the Superman Beyond and the Justice League Beyond chapters, there was a nice little thing that happened at the very end of the Superman Beyond story where Bruce Wayne, in a decked out, very Dark Knight Returns-esque costume, shows up to help Superman into the future, and this is definitely Bruce Wayne in the costume, and it's not Terry McGinnis. Um... Definitely cool to see. Definitely is going to play a role into the next story chapters, which will release in August. So just be on the lookout for that as well. But overall, I think uh, the Batman Beyond chapters, I'm going to give three and a half out of five batterings. I think a lot of what carries this title for me is Norm Breakfogel's art. And that's not to say that Beechin's script isn't is bad at all, but like the interest for me kind of carries like the visual tone of it. Um, and it's interesting because like how you know how comics are sort of like 50 percent this uh you know the experience i think a lot of brave focus art is definitely i don't want to say a step down but it's not as like it doesn't hit you in the face as hard as it used to you know like obviously like 20 years ago but i think it's still good i'm not sure like i think that like if his style from like the past were to be uh done for batman beyond i'm not sure how well it would fit but i, I just i just like looking at it i like um because i think that dustin said he looks different when it, or it looks better when it's, when it's Batman. It's sort of like that Batman thing where you know, there's a little more... Con- I don't know if there's a little more concentration, but like it looks a little more stylish. It looks a little more in- interesting rather than like you know the people standing around talking. Um, I'm, I, that's, I mean, I agree that it does look kind of Archie-esque, but I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I like this issue. I like that... Because I almost forgot about the 1,000 one Clown story uh, at the beginning uh, when, when the Beach and Breakfall team began. But uh, I like I like that they're kind of getting back to the whole um, Dana's brother thing. It felt like it felt like something that like we kind of want more to see, but they kind of keep on putting off. Although the stories in between have been pretty pretty solid. Um, I the Terry and, and Dana thing I didn't have much of a problem with because I didn't buy them. I don't think that like they'll ever break up, especially after after epilogue where when Terry's proposing marriage to them and they're like an adults. So it wasn't it was almost like you know a foregone conclusion. But I mean, it was. It was it, I liked how he handled it, where he didn't like putting her in a situation where she was going to break up with him. Um, it's a pretty simple story, I thought. I don't have too much to add to that, so I'll give it three and a half out of five veterans. I was a little caught off guard because I expected the chill story from the previous issue to sort of continue, um, and I really wanted it to, and I was looking forward to see what would happen there. Uh, but then it just like we we dropped in into this, and I don't really remember the one thousand clowns, so I think it was, there is just such a gap from one to the other. Uh, and I understand other things needed to happen, and there are other big storylines going on, but you almost want more of a continuation. I do. Uh, wonder you know is eight parts too much uh and and how well will this be i guess they are shorter chapters that's one thing to think but i just sometimes i wonder you know story arcs how much is too much or sort of like events how many issues do you really need i I think we discussed this you know during huntress was six really too much could you have done this and and five or three something like that um let's see here 
Ostrander Highway. I liked it. I wondered if it was named after John Ostrander. That was just sort of a detail I picked up. Oh, yes. Um, I, I did literally say, oh, my gosh. You know, out loud when Batman shot the lasers into the, the Joker, the, his eyes. And obviously we were explaining, you know, he just overloaded his optic nerve. But, you know, when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's that's really violence. And I know we've discussed violence on this show before. But I think it, it always, you kind of put it in perspective as to what what is the book that you're reading. Like Batwoman, we're used to this violence because of the supernatural element. But... I, I think that it caught me so off guard because in Batman Beyond, uh, it's not as violent. And I think Terry, like, he takes people down, but he does it in, in a manner that um, sort of incapacitates them the least amount as possible. So it's just very shocking to see that. Um, <clears throat> I do wonder what happened with Bruce in the cave, just like Dustin mentioned. Uh, you know, are we really going to be left in the dark like this? Like, it popped on. Terry was really worried. He came back. Hey, can you come back to the cave? And Terry said, I have to do something first. And then Bruce said, okay, which is very strange because the Bruce that I know in this universe would be like, no, you need to come back to the cave. So it's very, like, a very easy pass. Like, he let him go. Uh, it'd be really weird. I don't know. Did somebody take him away and now they're pretending to be Bruce? Wouldn't that be weird? I did really like the last scene, not for shipper purposes, but I think it was just great to see Terry finally keep his promise uh, because those happen few and far in between. And I think it's better. I mean, they are broken up, you know, even though it seems like they're together. I think that they are apart right now. And I think it may be better right now for the character to keep them apart because Terry has so much responsibility to deal with. And he needs to grow up still and be able to learn how to juggle these things because as taxing as it is on him, it's really emotionally um draining for Dana because I mean she tries to make these dates and they don't come through and she really needs him and he's not there but for once he is there for her so I think there needs to be more of these opportunities and these uh, promises that he keeps before they actually get together again I'm still enjoying this I'm looking forward to see I mean it was like a convention meeting for the Jokers so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the in the coming months I give this 4.5 out of 5 Batarangs. All right, so Batman Beyond Unlimited, number six, the Batman chapters, gets a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Nightwing, number 11. Oracle, I'll be at Janice Cosmetics in about two minutes. Copy that, Nightwing. I've actually hacked into the security terminal, so you'll be virtually invisible with the cameras and sensors. <laughs> Perfect. Are you sure you want to go on loan? Whoever's killing Black Mask Thugs is obviously not without experience. I've got Bruce and Tim on speed dial in case things get hairy, so don't worry so much. Please, Dick. Just be careful. It's me, remember? <laughs> That's why I'm worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Written by Kyle Higgins, art by Andres Ginaldo. The uh, issue starts off right where issue 10 start, uh, ended with uh, Paragon coming face-to-face with Nightwing. Um, Paragon explains that he is the uh, reason of, you know, he's the new heroes that Gotham really needs to take out the self-appointed heroes. Um, And then, in turn, he also says that Nightwing murdered their brothers 
and he's obviously referring to the Strayhorn brothers that we have seen in the previous episode, and they go to fight. Huge fight breaks out. Nightwing nearly uh, gets a bunch of bullets rattled into him as well as um, electrocuted numerous times. After he takes out a bunch of people, hides behind a uh, piece of rubble, only to have it completely shot up. He uh, slings something towards the clock on the wall, since they're in the clock tower, and it's a shrieker, and that uh, basically you know, incapacitates everybody by making a high-pitched sound. Um, as this happens, Paragon ends up uh, using his elect- electrical whip to hit it, but in return actually knocks the clock out of the clock tower, and the clock starts heading towards the actual um, city street, with tons of people and cars below. Nightwing dives out the window and attaches a couple of little bombs that, as they explode, ends up turning everything to a very small little dust. Um, As he gets close to the ground, uh, the attachment that he flung out as he jumped out after the clock um, flings him back up into it, only to find that Paragon and all of the men are now gone. We then cut to Detective Nye, who's confronted by Nightwing. Um, Detective Nye tells him, you know, I know what you're doing. I know that uh, you you killed these people. And Nightwing is convinced that, you know, he actually is trying to frame Nightwing, and that's what's happening. After Nightwing takes off, Detective Nye is pretty ticked off and storms off. Uh, Paragon is talking to the men. The men are complaining that uh, some of their friends not only were murdered, but now they have broken bones and they're beat up pretty badly and they're not really understanding the the real purpose behind this and they start to question paragon as they say they're about to leave paragon says well they're not worthy to uh to work with me and he whips out his electrical whip and cuts them all to tiny little pieces uh the next day we see uh a woman who is Sonia Zuko, or Sonia Branch, also known as Sonia Zuko, ringing the doorbell of Dick Grayson's um, residence. Dick Grayson opens the door shirtless to, and leads her in, um, making sure that none of his gear from the night before is laying out and about, including a gauntlet. Um, she then proceeds to tell him that, unfortunately, the bank decided to vote against him, and they say that the amusement mile idea is a bad idea because puts too much risk after he tries to say he doesn't understand why it's so much risk because uh we had the and she points out the memorial show they had in previously when the circus was there created an explosion that killed tons of people after he accuses her of actually voting him out um, she tells him that she actually voted yes, but she was outvoted, and she storms off as he apologizes, but to a slam door. Later at the back cave, he is sitting there using the Nightwing, sitting there using the back computer when Damien approaches, and they, the two of them, talk about um, what they're trying to figure out. What Nightwing is trying to figure out, Nightwing is actually having an epitome about Detective Nye. Um, meanwhile, on the other side of town, Commissioner Gordon and Mayor Deputy Mayor Cavanaugh is talking to Detective Nye and explaining to him that they are taking him off the case of the Nightwing murder and they're assigning Detective Alvarez, who we know from the Catwoman series. Hello. In turn, um, we keep cutting back and forth. It appears that Nightwing has figured out 
um, there's some sort of secret going on amongst the Strayhorn brothers as he realizes that the tattoos in a picture are already gone and uh, they're, they're, it was under the, they were under the assumption that the uh, tattoos were removed after they were murdered. Uh, back at the discussion with Nye, Gordon, and Dete uh, Deputy Mayor Kavanaugh, um, Nye explains that he is not trying to frame Nightwing. He explains that the reason why he's so obsessed is because in way back in the very beginning of uh, the Nightwing series, Nightwing number one to be specific, Seiko actually <laughs> killed two of the uh, beat cops, and the, one of the beat cops that he was that was murdered was uh, Detective Nye's boyfriend. So because of that, that is why he is so obsessed with finding out um, why Nightwing is this, because he wants to solve this and, you know, bring Nightwing to justice, or bring his, his uh, boyfriend's murderer to justice. Um, later at uh, Detective Nye's apartment, um, Chris, or he's looking at a picture of his boyfriend when Paragon... Uh, approaches Nye and tells him he has a case for him. Next up, who is framing Nightwing? The answer revealed. Alright, Nightwing number 11. This was an interesting issue. I thought... I thought... I, I think that Nightwing is probably doing the best job of taking a bunch of different things happening in all the different books and incorporating them in this book. Not only do we see references to Detective Alvarez from Catwoman... We see references from Damien from Batman and Robin. We see references from previous issues of um, of Nightwing, as well as we see Sonya Branch, which was appeared in Detective Comics pre uh, pre New Fifty Two. So there's all all these different references to all the events that are happening within the Batman universe without it actually being in this book. And I think that's really cool. And I think I know there's I know there's people out there who don't like it when there are so many coincidences or so many different things that are brought up from the other books. But I think it's a good way to promote what's happening in the other books without, you know, having to have some sort of crossover every couple months. So I think that's kind of cool that uh, Kyle Higgins is doing that. I thought the art by Andres Ganaldo was was pretty on par as far as what, what we've been we've come to expect. Uh, not nearly as good as Eddie Barrow's art, but definitely... Uh, very average art. There, I didn't. I couldn't find a whole lot of errors or complaints that I really had with it, so I don't really have anything bad to say about that. It's just very, very generic type of uh, Nightwing art. Um, the The story overall is going in a direction that I, I I'm not really seeing how it's going to wrap up in the next issue, but maybe it's not going to wrap up in the next issue. But if it doesn't, then I'm going to have a slight problem because. <laughs> If it doesn't wrap up in 12, we have the Zero Issue in September, followed by a two-issue story arc by Tom DeFalco in uh, Nightwing 1314. And then Kyle Higgins has promised that the Joker uh, crossover for Nightwing is happening 15 and 16. So I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding what the point of the story arc was if it's only lasting three issues, and honestly, it doesn't even feel like we've gotten past Act 1, so... I'm not real sure what's going to happen in the next issue. Um, as far as the Detective Nye reveal, I still think that he has something to do with the murder, but the fact that they're showing that Seiko was the one who killed it doesn't explain why he's going after Nightwing. 
other than maybe possibly Seiko was going after Nightwing, and because of that, he's trying to get Nightwing off the street, and that explains why Paragon is trying to team up with Nine. One way or the other, it just seems like a very roundabout way to just bring another character into something that's happening with a different character at the same time. Um, I'm going to give this three out of five batterings. This issue was very, very astonishingly similar to uh, another comic. And I, I'm, I'm wondering whether I'm going to take uh, Stella's possible review. In that, like, This was just like uh, last month's issue of Batgirl, where you have a group of people saying that they're going to save Gotham basically by killing people. And uh, one a member of the Bat family saying, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And then saying, well, you know, you're immoral, so we must kill you now. And there's a cop in the middle of all of it who uh, may or may not be a part of it. And the reason why they're involved is angst over a dead lover. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty much like the same kind of story. Um, that being said, I think that Dustin was right, that this is a bit better handled because this does feel more like a, like a traditional comic story where there's a lot of things going on at once, but we're sort of caught, catching up with this particular character's adventures. We're catching up with how Dick Grayson kind of perceives these uh, situations all at once and this, this is a very this is to me this is a staple of the Nightwing comic of old where like in the Chuck Dixon run so many things were going on but Dick was trying like you know take it one bit, bit at a time we were seeing different puzzles falling, puzzle pieces fall into place and I really do like that I think they were kind of short for their own good like the Sonya branch uh, scene lasts all of two pages and I'm not sure what, what we get out of it besides an awkward moment between Dick and another woman um, although I do like his scene with Damien. I mean, although Damien, you know, is referencing what he's going to do in Batman Robin. It was very much like whenever he would be in the Batcave and Tim would be like talking to him. And I like that because it shows that Dick Grayson not only still has his relationship with Damien when he was Batman, but like Dick Grayson can kind of like, he kind of, you know, encounter anybody and they'll end up liking him. That's, that's sort of part of who he is. And I thought it was a very kind of like subtle, but well-written way to establish the characters. Um, like I said before, like the plot is pretty much cribbed from Gail Simone's story, and I don't actually like the idea that like there's a cop who has a grudge because a member, a, a spouse or a partner died. Because I don't know, it's just there's something about that that's, that that feels too like it, it feels it feels a little too much. Like like we ha- we need to have extreme emotions going on, and we have to have it like you know the, oh we were in love and now he's dead and it's all this guy's fault even though it isn't. Uh, it it feels like. I'm not sure if that's. I'm not sure how to explain that. It just. It doesn't ring true to me. It kind of feels like it's trying too hard. But um, the way this issue was kind of done was pretty decent enough. I didn't care for the art style by uh, Andres Ginaldo. He did um, Gotham City Sirens last year, didn't he? At one point, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I, I never. I never really cared. He's also, for his art. I think. I think he subbed on Catwoman as well. Yeah, I, I was never really a big fan of his. Um, he does decent work. Throughout this issue, there there are some panels where he does better than others. Like I like the panels where Nightwing's at the beginning. I don't like it when we see Dick Grayson. I think Dick, Dick looks weird throughout this thing. He almost looks like Clayface. Um, and I don't really care for the colors as well too. I think they're kind of too muted, kind of too brown and warm, and not really colorful enough. Even when it's nighttime, like in the Batcave, it looks still kind of like it's trying to be sort of silver. But those are kind of nitpicks. I mean, overall, I did like this issue, but I think that it could be a bit improved by. Um, individualizing the story and kind of make it a little better than it is on the onset. So I'll give it three out of five better ranks. Yeah, I'm hoping this story wraps up. It, it, it seems like it's been going on a long time, but I guess that's mainly because of the whole 
um, interlude with the owls sort of cutting in. I really liked the fact that I think there are a lot of like realistic elements to this uh, particular issue. I liked that Paragon's people, you know, are questioning how invested they are in what's going down. I mean, they find out like, oh, wow, this is getting kind of heavy, and you know, even questioning Paragon's way of dealing with things. And I think we we also get a look at the reason why all these people have come together because I think motive is a big thing uh, to know and to become invested in the story is more like not what they're doing, but why they're doing it. Um, gosh, that scene with Sonya and Dick, how could Sonya not see the gauntlet in the middle of the floor when she comes in to through the door? I, that was a little unbelievable for me, but we can put that aside. I actually liked that Dick was turned down for the loan. And this is like the realism part. I mean, it makes sense. It it pulls back to the Hilly Circus story, which is also a good thing. But, yeah, I'm glad that people are taking notice of some of these things that are happening and saying this is not a good investment to make. And then, of course, he turns it around on her and her family's involvement with his past. But she comes out actually looking more positive than he does because he's kind of more of a more of a hothead like uh, Blake in uh, TDKR. I like the conversation between Nightwing and Robin. It was both fun and uplifting, you know, as uplifting as Damien can be. And, oh, boy, another character comes out of the closet. Uh, you know, this Nye does not seem like he fits well with the rest of the cast. I think, like, the majority of Bat books really want some sort of connection to the Gotham City Police Department, but some of them only relate tangentially, and others are actually related, like Catwoman. I think, like, there's a strong tie there. Batgirl, obviously. Um, And, you know, others still seem like the story could go on without them, and whether Nye will remain after this storyline, I think, is a good question, because I think this probably could have gone on without him, and it would have been the same story. Uh, It was a really Bronze Age ending, uh, what with Nightwing having a sudden realization and piecing everything together while (laughs) the audience has no idea. But basically, the editor is saying to you, do you know the answer, reader? Stay tuned for this shocking conclusion. Uh, It just made me feel like that. Uh, You know, Nightwing has been basically mediocre for me, but hopefully this ending will be good and and wrap it up and hopefully going into the joker thing it'll it'll pick up and and be the book that it should be because i think it has a great deal of potential 3.5 out of 5 batarangs all right so that's going to give nightwing number 11 a total of three out of five batarangs let's move into our next book batwoman number 11 katrina what have you done i'm you and you're me what could you possibly hope to gain Oh, please. I have a list. Freedom, for one thing. No longer will I have to hide in the shadows. Then there's my personal favorite, Retribution. The Riddler will finally get what he deserves, and Batman will take all the blame. Not if I have anything to say about it. Batman would never hit a defenseless woman. Funny. I don't have that problem. Batwoman number 11, To Drown the World, Part 6. Writers, J.G. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. Artists, Trevor McCarthy with Perry Perez and color Sky Major. Boy, they're pulling a lot of people from... Oh, yeah. BQM's Batgirl run. Uh, uh, Batwoman's story now. Batwoman stares in shock at Morrow, or Marrow. Uh, newly transformed from his sister soon. With Faustian dead, Morrow takes charge of the new head of Medusa and will deliver the children to mother. 
Morrow explains that everything up to now was his plan, and everyone played into his hands beautifully. Medusa will never know, and the DEO will blame Batwoman. He then asks the weeping woman to drown Batwoman. Jacob's story now. Jacob is with Bet at the hospital, telling her that the doctors don't believe that she will wake up, and her mother is in talks about organ donation. Hey, why not just call Dollhouse over in Catwoman? Jacob puts Bet's mask over her eyes and orders her to open her eyes. Open your eyes, and I will teach you everything Kate couldn't. And Bet, of course, opens her eyes. Maggie's story, 15 minutes from now. Maggie races toward Gotham Harbor toward some sort of creepy light show. When she gets there, there is a huge explosion in the water, and Maggie wants divers to go down there. All of a sudden, Chase from the DEO climbs out of the water and says that Batwoman has screwed them all. Morrow's story now. Morrow bathes the children in a bright light, and Batwoman begs Morrow slash soon not to do it. Then Chase pops out of nowhere and points a gun at Morrow, but Batwoman stops her, and the bullet only wounds Morrow. Chase is wounded, and while Batwoman makes some quick apologies, uh, she then runs to get Morrow. Morrow, meanwhile, transforms into a white fox, threatens to make a meal of Batwoman, then orders the Weeping Woman and Killer Croc to prove their love for Mother as the fox leaps into the light. Chase's story now. As the Weeping Woman begins flooding the place, Batwoman forces Chase to her feet, gives her a breathing apparatus, and forces her to dive. Batwoman also... Nope. Oh, that was Chase's story? Uh, Hopefully I said that. Batwoman's story now. As Batwoman drags Chase through the water by her collar, Batwoman also has to fend off Killer Croc. Chase reaches the surface and complains to Maggie that Batwoman wouldn't let her kill Morrow and allowed him to take the kids. Unbeknownst to them, Batwoman is under the deck and makes a vow that she will get the children back. Kate's story the next day. Kate is explaining to Maggie about soon kissing her and tells her that kissing anyone but Maggie feels wrong. (laughs) She finally decides to open up and and tell her everything about her, even the ghosts. She opens a shoebox which reveals photographs of the past. In turn, Maggie reveals that she has a daughter, Jamie, whom she lost in the custody battle with Maggie's ex-husband. The missing children all remind Maggie of her daughter. Epilogue. The white fox tells mother that Faustion is no longer, and the mother, in the presence of the missing children, says that even Batwoman will be devoured by her, the mother of all monsters. Next, Batwoman returns in World's Finest. All right, Batwoman number 11. I'm kind of at a loss for words because the thing is I've really been hoping for a long time that they're going to get away from this this you know six stories at once thing. And the sad part is thinking back you know months ago when they first started this I was really really into it and thought it was a great idea. Now I'm I'm really just tired of it because it's getting old. I The problem is that it doesn't even feel like the actual stories are being you know in the correct timeline. So we see the opening scene, which flows perfectly from the last issue, but then doesn't flow perfectly with the rest of the book, because they throw in Jacob's story in the middle of everything. They throw in the Maggie story, which happened earlier in the story, but then is supposed to be happening later on when she comes in contact with somebody else. It's really confusing. And I I was able to follow along. It's not that I wasn't able to follow along. It's just... It's... It's just the the story format is getting old, and I really want them to change. I give props to Trevor McCarthy because it's at, there was a certain point in the story. I think it was the one where um, there was a two page spread, two page splash of 
a bunch of different panels, but they looked like they were like little puddles of water making up one giant puddle of water. And it, to me, I almost thought to myself, wait a second, is J.H. Williams back as the artist? And then I actually had to go and check and realized it wasn't because it just seemed like the something that he would do. Trevor McCarthy's done a really great job of kind of like mimicking what J.H. Williams does, but I don't know how much of that is actually him or how much of that is actually dic- dictated by the script itself. Nonetheless, I think that he's done a great job and he definitely has a future with other bad books if if uh, the, the editorial team decides that uh, they would like him on a different title. Um... As far as the story goes, it's nice to see that Betty wakes up because, honestly, you know, I we really didn't need her to be in a coma or dead. At one point, I really thought she was just going to die and that was going to be the end of it. But I'm glad they didn't kill her, although I don't think they probably would have. Um, it's nice that she woke up, but everything else that happened in the issue, I could care less about. I mean, okay, so um, Batgirl prevents Chase from shooting the the main villain. He turns into a wolf and runs away, and in turn, Killer Croc is left behind to, you know, swim in the water with Chase and Batwoman. I mean, just... I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that the six-story thing is just really weird. It's welcome on me, but uh, it's just... I, I want to get to an interesting story about Batman, like we've Batwoman, like we've seen in the past. And the six-story format thing is just getting on my nerves. Two and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, I'm kind of still at a loss for interest with this book. I don't think it's bad, but like it just does not. I mean, there's stuff happening, but it's sort of like it just doesn't capture my interest. And and it's not because of like the type of story it is or, or whatever is going on, but I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's just the storytelling. Maybe it's the fact that, like, Kate Kane in this book, maybe it's the lack of uh, internal monologuing or internal narration because she seems like such a cipher. I mean, like, only when she shows high emotion, like that one issue, like, I think it was issue five or whatever it was, where uh, it ended with her and um, Maggie doing it while Betty was out as Flamebird, like... Because there was a lot of emotion going on there and a lot of stuff happening that made you care about the character. But like ever since then, it feels like she's just been kind of doing stuff and saying stuff. You know, like, I don't care if you're, if you're soon or tomorrow or both. You're a liar and a kidnapper and a murderer. And I want to kick your ass for it. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't really feel any like anger or sort of like conviction with these words because I don't think that like in a while we've gotten really into her head. Maybe people disagree with me and you can feel free to disagree with me, but like... It just feels like stuff, stuff is happening, but there's not a lot, a lot of reason for us to inherently care, aside from the assumption that we'll just automatically care for the characters because we're reading the book, um, which we probably should, but, you know, that's not where I am. Um, I mean, I think it was fine. I mean, I, I like the fact that, like, stuff actually did happen, and uh, the story seemingly at least went to some, some place of an ending. Um, although, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I, like, the whole, the whole, whole angst with, or, or the DEO's angst with Batwoman has kind of gotten tired for me. Like, like, how dare you, Batwoman, not kill this character? It's just, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I, I would like to see things kind of change. You know, it's, the, the hero being blamed for something is, is one thing I don't want to really ever see in comics again. I did like the end scene with her and Maggie, but like to me, it was sort of too little, too late. Where it's like all of a sudden we have a sentimental scene, and like I'm not sure because those those scenes really are the most interesting part of the book for me. You know, the scenes where there is emotion, the scenes where there's characterization. There's more than just crime fighting. Because I feel that like it's the closest we get to understanding what kind of people these characters are. 
Because otherwise, I'm not really sure. All we're seeing is just sort of like rope fight scenes. Um, I mean, it really sounds like I hated this book and I did it, but it's just, you know, I just have a general non-interest. I've had that for months now. So I'll give it two out of five battle ranks. There's a good point, though, about the whole... Why don't they realize now that Batwoman is the way she is and, you know, she doesn't use lethal force. They should have recognized this when they sort of uh, <laughs> took her in. But, yeah, here we go. Um, it was exciting that Bet. I know people say Bet. They say Betty. Who knows? Let, let me know. The blonde. Uh, that, <laughs> yeah, I know. The, that Bet finally woke up. I'm glad. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how her relationship with Kate is going to develop after this um, because obviously Kate and Jacob are at odds and if Jacob is taking Bet under his wing and training her which is sort of against Kate's wishes then it may put Bet and Kate at odds so that I think will be a really interesting character dynamic and to see hopefully it won't be like the, the two months and the six months and the five minutes ago kind of thing but we'll see Again, we have a situation where a hero attacks another person who is about to show some lethal force. Now, this happened, the last time we saw this was in Birds of Prey, you know, when Ivy was showing a little too much, much force on the, the, the woken up, the sleeper agents in the office, and then Dinah goes and attacks Ivy for doing that, and I have so many qualms about that because you're putting somebody else in jeopardy with this, and this was almost worse because Batwoman, like, uses so much force. Like, she's basically electrocuting Chase. And she's putting them in even... These aren't sleeper agents. Random, you know, pencil pushers with guns. We've got Killer Croc and uh, Bloody Mary and Weeping Woman that could potentially kill you in, like, a thousand different ways. And you're, you're incapacitating, basically, your partner. And, you know, Morrow still gets shot, Morrow gets away, so in the end, the only plus was that Morrow is still alive. But, you know, couldn't Batwoman have just thrown a battering and knocked the gun out of her hand rather than electrocuting her? Electrocuting her? It, it just seems like a bad mistake to make. I, I'm just against that sort of thing. I'm not really sure why Maggie would want to send divers into water, which is exploding, seems a little reckless as well um and yeah just like donovan said can't believe all this is going to be blamed on batwoman uh but it does sort of further the debate between the easy thing to do and the right thing to do and you know how easy it would have been to let chase kill morrow but if batwoman did that then she wouldn't be batwoman i really liked the scene with kate and maggie uh, especially with kate finally letting maggie in on her past and this was something we gosh that was brought up in like I don't know, issue five, it was way back in the beginning where she just didn't want her to, to, to press uh, on that. And, and, and then Kate, you know, she shares everything. And we also learn about Maggie's daughter, which sort of came as a shock uh, to me, at least in the previous issue. And I really like this relationship, and, and I feel like it's progressing in a realistic manner, and it's one of my favorite relationships to follow in, in the current Batman comics. And, uh, well, it seems I was wrong about the resurrection of Beth. That was, I was sort of holding out for her to be the villainess all along. But if the quote is literal about uh, this person being the mother of all monsters, in mythology, that was uh, the echidna and this, like, crazy, that you know, half woman, half snake, and she was literally, like, all of these monsters. So it'll be interesting if she will look like that. Um, 
but there I'm going to throw that out there since I have some some knowledge in those sorts of things. I do have to say that it was tough to uh, to recap this. I don't normally do this. Joe does, and it kind of throws you for a loop and you really have to focus on what's going on when because of all these like time shifts. So I think I like the, that my two counterparts here, I'm sort of ready for it to go back into linear storytelling and it doesn't have to be completely linear, but perhaps something that's more continuous than what we currently have going on here. 3.5 out of five batterings. All right. So that's going to give Batwoman number 11, a total of, Two and a half out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Catwoman number 11. It's a brazen costume for a cat burglar. Yeah, who are you pretending to be? Catwoman number 11, I'm just refilling my coffers. Written by Jack Winnick, penciled by Adriana Mello. Uh, continuing from last issue, we begin with uh, Detective Arthros, quite surprised to see Catwoman uh, leaning on his sink saying that she uh, understands that he's been looking for her. And he freaks out and just bolts for his gun. Uh, the entire time, Selena's trying to say, I just want to talk, but he starts freaking out and starts tackling her. There's a lot of things get destroyed, like dishes and, and uh, drawers and stuff that make so much noise that uh, a nearby neighbor asks what's going on. And uh, Selena has a particular way of getting her away. Um, she, at one point, gets uh, Alvarez in a chokehold is saying, look, I have... I have all the, I have this information on uh, all these street kids and sex workers have gone missing. It's on this U- USB drive. Please read it. Please help me. No one's doing anything about it, but I think you'll be able to help me. And he does. Uh, we cut to a scene of the doll maker where he's uh, observing his dolls. Then he sees that the guy he kidnapped from last uh, last issue uh, chewed and spit out his wrists. And, and he's rather disappointed by that. So he says he needs more dolls to feed on. And he needs them tonight. Um, we cut back to uh, Gwen Altamont. Uh, calling Selena for the fourth time, saying she's very worried until some goons uh, throw into a limousine, and we see uh, a white outline of a guy with a big nose, probably the Penguin, saying that he's interested in the working relationship she has. Uh, Selena, we cut to uh, Selena breaking into a, a hotel to sleep for the night, but Spark gets a drop on her, and while the two start uh, getting down to it, she gets a call from Alvarez saying that he has a lead on some of the neighborhoods that have been hit by this mysterious kidnapper. So Selena, Alvarez, and Spark all team up to go find the doll maker, um, and all three think that they they found him. You know, big big guy in a hood. Catwoman and Spark have the drop on two guys, but they're just homeless people hired to be a distraction. While the doll maker attacks uh, Alvarez's beat and ends up drugging several different sex workers at once with like tranquilizer darts. Uh, Alvarez is knocked out of a car crash, and he's kidnapped along with all the other uh, unconscious uh, sex workers. And so Selena says, well, I screwed this up royally. Next issue, the final battle with Dollhouse, and the Dark Knight returns! All right, Catwoman number 11. There was, let's see, sex, violence, death. Laughter. Fighting. Laughter. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much the sex and the violence is what's become of this this title but i i really didn't find this interesting i still think that the this doll house character is really just a rip off of the doll maker which is a rip off of previous characters from past incarnations of other heroes as i said the last time i reviewed the book i just can't i don't understand why they in these books are coming from the same office this isn't like a superman book and you know there's another character in like captain adam or something like that no these are both characters that are within the same group 
So if they're in the same group, you would think somebody would be like, hey, wait a second. If these are in the same group, should we really have a villain that's the same kind of idea, selling off organs to the highest bidder and doing other things with the bodies? <sighs> but anyway, um, I think it's interesting that Selena has not caught on to the fact that uh, Spark is is kind of like working against her and is, again, so willing just to lay down with whoever she possibly can. I'm just wondering if they're trying to... And, and then the fact... I get that they're probably trying to have Selena so concerned about the sex workers because she probably they're probably trying to stay within the same frame of that she was once one or something like that. And that's probably why she's so obsessed with having sex with everybody she comes in contact with. <laughs> and, and for some reason is constantly in these odd positions. Maybe she was a gymnast at some point and turned into a hooker. Who knows? I guess we'll find out that origin come September. But anyway, um, I thought the the beginning was kind of interesting where she fights against Detective Alvarez and he puts up such a big fight against her because he wants to arrest her, but he was the one who let her out of out of jail and out of the police station not even a couple issues ago because he was concerned that she couldn't be in police custody because police wanted to kill her. So he's going to arrest her and bring her where, which is not going to be around the police he was trying to protect her from before. So that didn't make a lot of sense. Um, I, overall, I mean, just there wasn't again. There wasn't a lot that happened. Again, this is the same thing as what happened in, in uh, Nightwing. We have the second second issue of this story arc with this new villain, and. I don't feel as if we've gotten past the first act, and we only have one more issue, because Judd Winnick isn't doing any more issues come around September, so he's going to have to wrap this up somehow, and if he doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense, because guess what, come October, Joker's in Catwoman. So, I don't really understand where this is going, just like I'm having a problem with Nightwing. Um, the art, again, I'm waiting to find out who the artist is going to be on... Uh, when Anocenti takes over for Judd Winnick because Gilliam March is doing talent, so somebody else will be coming on. Um, and then when that happens, I'm hoping they can figure out a way to not have to draw Catwoman in such odd poses because I really don't need to see the like exact layout of Catwoman's butt on every single page. Um, overall, two and a half out of five batterings. I thought this issue was actually more interesting than Batwoman. I just didn't uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not like I'm not going to take like a moral stance on this thing and say, well, they're, they're, they're this so unethical that they're doing this story. But like, I don't know. It just, it's just really irritating <laughs> to read. I mean, I understand. This is this is this is more aligned with like the whole meet Catwoman. She steals sexy scenes. She, she combs her sexy hair. That kind of crap. Where like they're really trying to put the whole sex and violence theme in the book to make you read it. But it's not interesting. It's it's it's, it's like. It's something out of Hollywood where, like, you know, they're kind of, like, trying to sell you on these extreme things, and it's really kind of stupid. And, like, that's kind of, like, what it is going on the entire time. Coupled with that, the arch, that's not very good. Like, I was, like, the art, the opening uh, sequence between Selena and Detective Alvarez was really bad. Like, I, I, in, the, in the title sequence where it says the title, um, like, Selena's arms look, look like uh, like a, a doll. It's, I cannot believe how, how just bad that was. 
Um, and speaking of the, the title, am I, am, I know I've mentioned this before, but like I'm really kind of tired of like the whole taking quotes from the comic and like making it into a title. It makes it seem like Gentleman is trying to be a lot more clever than he really is. And I know he's going to do that for his run because he's just been doing it the entire time. But I just wish he would stop. Um, I mean, I did, I did find Alvarez working with Selena interesting, although we didn't see much of it. We just saw sort of like hear, hearsay. I mean, we didn't see any of his perspective like we have before in the, in the comics. It kind of like deadened it a little bit. Um, and it's just the fact that like everything Selena does. I know Joe says this a lot, but like everything she does is just so dumb. She always she's, she's always presented to be so stupid that like why are we supposed to care about this character? It's, she's like, oh, I could have thought about, thought about this better. <laughs> you know, I, I, I screw this up. Whoops! It's like. Every single issue is, is like that, and that's that's not really fun to watch. Watch, I don't like it when Spider-Man is treated like a dope in his own book, and I don't like it when Catwoman is treated like an idiot in her own title either. It's like, what what enjoyment are we supposed to get from characters just being? It's one thing if they're start, trying to start out and they're doing their best and they have mistakes. It's another thing if they're consistently inept and you know incompetent. And it's just it's just the kind of thing. I, mean, I, don't, have, I don't have much else to say. I, I just really didn't like what's going on. Um, Two out of five batterings. Uh, I do agree with Don 100% on that last comment, uh, or that last sort of rage quit. No, it wasn't really rage quit. That he, you know, Catwoman is a really cool character, and she has so much to offer, but this book sort of brings down her character. If you want to see Catwoman as she should be uh, seen, then please go see The Dark Knight Rises in theaters now. Um <laughs> But two things I disagree with Donovan before I get into my review. Uh, I do actually like that Judd Winnick borrows the the quotes that somewhere in the book for the title because I, I think it's neat that he references it and that it has something to do with the story. Just like uh, you know, back in the the Silver Age, sometimes they had covers that were actually pulled, you know, a panel pulled right from the inside, and sometimes they had nothing to do with it. But I think it's good to. Have, you know, get a teaser. Of course, the title, normally, you have no idea. Like, I was just thinking, what do you mean, fill your coffers? You have no idea what it's talking about, but I, I, I kind of like that he does that. And the other thing, when he was doing his recap, Don said about, oh, the penguin, it must be the penguin. And that's, fu- I, I never even thought of the penguin. I just thought it was the, the dirty cops pulling Gwen off the street. So, that, that was an interesting viewpoint there. Better not be the penguin. It better <laughs> <That> not. It <laughs> <is>. <laughs> he is in a lot of books. Uh, interesting start to the issue for sure, and of course, you know, we've got to throw in some heavy innuendo there. Uh, I do wonder how Selena was able to unload his gun, especially when he basically just set it down. And I also wonder if the whole fight was necessary. Uh, you know, I, I kind of think Alvarez is smart enough to maybe have a conversation before being this quick to act. It, it seemed out of character. We don't really know him that well, but it seemed out of character for me. More and more, uh, this dollhouse is, yeah, it's getting gruesome and it's, wow, it's, it's starting to be even more gory than Batwoman. Last issue I said, hey, it's kind of like it's gotten to a certain point where it's getting kind of gross. And that whole, yeah. Someone biting their wrists and like I just I don't know it's too much for me right now. I'm shocked that Catwoman hasn't thought better of her of her relationship with Spark. This has been said to uh, has been said before, uh, but it just seems like she would know that he's obviously bad news. Is it going to be one of those? But I never faked loving you sort of situations where. He'll betray her, but he had real feelings for her. And, you know, because of him, Gwen, yet another partner is in danger. And you would think that Selena would would figure something out by now. 
I'm surprised that dollhouse number one is a female looking thing, though I guess we're still unsure. And number two has changed his slash her MO. Uh, given how powerful we've seen she or he can be, it seems unnecessary for her to go to such, such extremes. Uh, but I guess people have sort of gotten wise, so now it's time to step up the game. Uh, but I do wonder how she was able to spot the detective uh, to take him out. She would have obviously been looking for Catwoman and maybe Spark, but then, I don't know, the detective, that sort of seemed like dumb luck or just like a little convenient. I'm, yeah, I'm ready for this storyline to be over for sure. I've been ready since maybe the first issue. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that Nacinti is, is going to bring something better and, and more respectful uh, or respectable to the character, and we can only hope that a female on a female book is going to be good. So, three out of five batterings. All right, so Catwoman number 11 gets a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey number 11. Next time, maybe you'll think twice before you steal what doesn't belong to you. Finders keepers. I like the look. Italian. Why? You thinking of trading in your tights? Birds of Prey number 11, Tangled Up Inside. Writer Dwayne Sprzynski, artists Travel Foreman and Timothy Green II. Inkers, <laughs> Jeff Hewitt, and Joseph Silver, and colorist Gabe Elteyev. Dubai, now. In the tower probably scaled by Ethan Hunt in Ghost Protocol, a group of board members discuss the future of their corporation and their support for deep core fracking. While the effects on the environment are serious, the huge revenue stream seems like it trumps any damage to Mother Earth. Who cares? Poison Ivy cares. A seemingly healed Ivy wraps the board members up in leafy tentacles. The Amazon one week ago. The birds are within the safe house but are still struggling to make, um, to make their way to the center of the place. As they work to open the door, the creepy plants continue to continue their attack coming from on top of the building. The birds finally get through the door. The birds finally get through the door, defending themselves all the way, but losing the pilot laden in the process. The birds help Ivy to the lower level, which has access to pure green. She says that there she will be able to heal and deal with the creatures called the perennial. They are a crude attempt at fusing plant and human genetics to create be- beings that are similar to Ivy. Ivy takes a siesta in the center of the green and explains that the place is a lab which did green-friendly, with little air quotes, research, and reveals that they assisted in the creation of her new biosuit, which allows her to channel her powers like never before. She may have enhanced powers, but this comes at a price. She is dying, and only her suit is keeping her alive. Back to Dubai. One of the board members does not seem phased by Ivy's attack and calls in the chief of security, Mr. Washburn. With James Bond swagger, Washburn kicks down the door and suits up with toxic defoliant strapped to his back like a flamethrower. Ivy uses two employees like a shield, but Washburn is told that they are expendable and he is ready to blast through them. Back at the Amazon, Perennial are breathing down on their necks as Ivy stands and tells Dinah that she hopes she'll remember all the good times they've had and that their friendship was genuine. Ivy then tells the Perennial to stand down, and obviously Dinah is confused as to why she didn't do that sooner. Add to that shock that the birds were injected with a toxin back in the jungle, and now, just like Ivy, they have six months to live. 
On the bright side, they will be given an antidote if they help punish those who are despoiling the planet, as well as fight off anyone who may try to stop them. They, those people may or may not wear bat related items. Batgirl says they can get Batman to help. Dinah says Ivy can't just Dinah says Ivy can just kill them. Katana calls Ivy a traitor and fails at slashing her. Starling takes Dinah's view on the situation, even though now would be probably the prime time to say, I told you so. And Ivy thinks that there is nothing more honorable than saving the planet and tells them that plan B is by far the worst. For if any or all of the team members die, the toxins in their bloodstream will be automatically released, starting a global cleansing that at long last will allow the Earth to recover. Dinah accepts the fact that they must help, but Ivy is dead to her, Sicilian style. Dubai. In the end, Ivy drops the two employees and leaps out of the way of Washburn's toxic defoliant. All of a sudden, the birds burst in, and while the people are ecstatic to see superheroes, they realize their excitement is an error when Starwin points a gun to the chairman's head and pulls the trigger. Next, good birds go bad. All right, Birds of Prey number 11. It was definitely interesting because we saw this coming. We saw the fact that Poison Ivy was probably going to turn on the team, but they did a good job of making it seem like she wasn't based off of her at least, you know, taking out the Talon during the Night of Owls crossover. In addition to that, I I, I mean, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see that they were going to have to do it, but I guess the Birds of Prey and what Batgirl feared all along is that they're going to all have to be bad, and that's going to start happening in the next issue, even though it kind of happened in this issue with Starling shooting, but we don't know whether or not she actually killed the guy or just maimed him. Um, I thought the art was good. Um, I think it's interesting to see Poison Ivy, or see this, hear this theory that Poison Ivy's going to die, and she's basically going to use her remaining months to you know punish all of those people out there that are trying to harm Earth. I mean, we've always known that she's an eco-terrorist. That's pretty much what she's been within the last 20 years. So because of that, it's interesting that she's on this like timeline now where she essentially has to do it as fast as she can because she's going to die. So, um, for the most part, I thought this was a great issue. I'll keep it short, short and sweet. Three and a half out of five batterings. I really like this issue, and this is the first one that I've kind of, I've kind of liked since they've ignored all the intriguing storylines that they set up in the first ten issues or so. Um, but like, I, I liked it because this is sort of like the kind of poison ivy I like seeing, because I don't really remember a good reason why she joined the Birds of Prey in the first place. It was just sort of convenient for the plot at the time. And the idea that a villain who joins a superhero team basically... Black, uh, blackmails uh money blackmails like extorts uh the uh, the heroes to follow her plans is really cool and because ivy's the type of villain to think that that she's actually a, a good person and is doing right by the world is i really like the this the, the idea for the story um i mean it, i mean i was sort of like kind of like you know going by like oh, okay here we go uh, but the, when she said, oh, well, I'm dying, and this suit kind of you know, keeps that at bay or whatever, I was intrigued. And then it just got more and more interesting as it went along. And then when she says um, um, that she infected the rest of the birds with the same virus and they'll be dead in six months, I mean, you know that they're not going to die. But, like, it is an interesting plot thread to see how they're going to come out of this. Uh, I like the fact that Batgirl goes to Black Canary and says, don't worry, Batman will save us. And Batgirl, Black Canary is like, you know what, just, just kill us now. <laughs> 
I found that pretty funny. Um, and it's just like I love the idea that Poison Ivy just basically took over this book and says, okay, you work for me now, and if, if, if you want to die, then uh, the, the plan is doomed too. The stakes are so high. And I didn't see this coming. I, I didn't think that she was going to turn on the team, at least this, in this manner. And I really, this is some of the best Poison Ivy stuff we've been given since, I think, Deanie's run on Detective Comics back in 2006. I really, really enjoyed this, this, what's going on here. And I'm really excited to see what's going on next, four out of five batterings. I have to say that even with how the previous issue ended, you know, namely Ivy's sinister stare that I pointed to, I did not see this particular story taking this turn. And I think we all had reservations about Ivy on the team, but I, for one, was lulled into sort of a, a false sense of security ever since the, the issue way back in the beginning where, I mean, she saved the team from the warehouse explosion. And because I really saw Ivy as sort of um, this fledgling hero, someone that was... You know, yeah, she was dubious, but she was sort of being good. Uh, Despite some missteps, this betrayal was sort of all the more shocking. I like that, I'll call them love taps, that that we saw the perennial give the birds. The last issue had a function because I saw them. I was like, what's going on with those? And it drew into the main storyline. And I think that this could also lead back to the the very beginning when Ivy receives that uh, briefcase from the man, that mysterious man, uh, you know, or the toxin is just innate to the perennial. But I feel like there is some sort of connection to that that guy that gave her uh, a package in the beginning. I love the fact that Ivy has a backup plan, and this plan is far worse than the original plan, but they all inevitably lead to the same end goal. Uh, those four panels showing her plan B along with her narration of what would happen, I thought that was great. The toxin in the bloodstream totally reminds me of Teen Titans and Slade. Uh, that was what uh, season one where he takes Robin under his wing and of course Robin's not going to do that but he said, well guess what? Your friends <laughs> are infected with nanites. I think they were nanites. Yeah. Uh, but, but it totally reminds, you know, like she thought of everything and that is great. This is sort of like the Catwoman. Like you want a strong, like smart, intelligent person even though this is sort of bad the first thing that Batgirl asks after Dinah shows her um, power oh wait the first thing that Batgirl asks after Ivy shows her power over the perennial is why they were lured into or lured lured into the building. And I just thought that that was the strangest first question to ask. Yes, the whole situation kind of smells funny, but at that point, how could they have known that Ivy had plans of her own? And I think just a better question would be why, but I always question things that are coming out of Batgirl's mouth now. Uh, Ivy says that she tried to convince them in, quote, an honorable way, end quote and, quote, without resorting to all this, end quote. But where was that attempt? She never asked them before this little excursion, and basically having them drugged is not exactly honorable. Uh, It seems like she was just sort of anticipating this sort of reaction all along. As for the plotting, not as bad as Batwoman. Uh, And I really liked how the issue begins. It it really throws you into something, and then it pulls you back into the past. But I think the issue probably would have benefited more from continuous action in the past after it backflashed, and then working up to the present, rather than 
the, the going back and forth between the two, because I think the Dubai scene started to interrupt what was going on with Ivy and the team back in the Amazon, and I didn't uh, like that as much. In general, I think the present scenes are weaker than the, the ones that take place in the past, and it is nice to see Ivy get back into her old game. Uh, her old game. I, I do, however, wonder how the birds got back from the Amazon. That's always a question. And what happened in between? Is this something that will be explained in issues to come? We learned quite a bit about Ivy that has not been mentioned before, mainly in regards to her origin, her power base, etc. Will we continue to learn more, or will there be more of a focus on this in the crossover involving the rot? And will the birds be involved in that crossover? That's something that I'll be interested to see. Uh, the fact that she's wearing a suit of sorts does beg the question as to how Choke's suggestion uh, three issues ago or four issues ago um, affected her. If it was just a suit, how did that sort of break her or how was it able to break her biology down? But, you know, I think for the most part that this issue does what it is supposed to do, and that's to highlight Ivy, give more info about her, and really toss the team into a more confusing time again. Uh, I do, you know, I wonder how much more they're going to be able to take because you've got Choke. Dinah's murdering past and now this. Uh, they're going to need some major counseling for sure. But I think, like... My counterparts here, it's great to see this Ivy kind of come back in here. And I'm wondering, you know, will they be able to sort of repair this damage? And is she going to be gone from the team? It'll be interesting to see if there will be a hole that we'll need to fill. Uh, I give this 3.5 out of 5 batterings. All right. So Birds of Prey, number 11, gets a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next title, Red and Hood and the Outlaws, number 11. Hey. Let me save you some trouble here, dick. Jason Todd. Should've known it was you. Still, uh, pretending to be Red Hood, I see? So, I'm down here making all this noise, and I can't even get the real deal? Well, Bane just broke out of Arkham, so Batman and Robin are just a little too busy to mess around with their, uh, reject sidekick. Really? Really? Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 11. Sorry, Ann. Stars fading, but I linger on, dear. Still craving your death. Whatever that means. Um, we begin in the middle uh, with Roy Harper, a.k.a. Arsenal, being tortured by an alien group known as the Blight. Um, and basically so that he can, he can build for exposition. Um, so he does so, uh, explaining that the events of the last issue ended with Starfire giving the order to attack uh, the, uh, the alien ships that are attacking them and basically wiping them out pretty handily. Um, both her um, her second and third mates, Del Paulo and Katen, are pretty happy, but she looks, Roy noticed that she looks kind of sad and deferred to his and Jason's advice on how to fight for Tamaran because she doesn't really want to. Um, before we get more into that, we have a scene between... Um, Big white guy. I'm not sure what he is. He's sort of like this, uh, this uh, tumor-looking guy with with fangs, talking to Jason's date Isabel about um, being out in space and learning all this uh, really quickly. Um, we cut back to Corey giving her origin story about why she doesn't like to fight for Tamaran and how she was the second daughter of the planet, and her older sister Commander was the, always cared for her, was always nice to her. And I was always by her side in the early days of some war. 
Um, until they were put in a very weird position where they had to sell her to save the planet. So she was sold into I don't even know what uh, for years until she eventually uh, met up with her friends and escaped. And when she went back to Tamaran, uh, her sister was so happy to see her that it changed their relationship because because her sister sold into slavery, she could never really recover from that. And Starfire has carried this anger with her all these years. Um, but Jason and Roy assure her that she's a she's a very lovely person deep down. Then Isabel comes in, dressed like Power Girl, and saying that you know obviously uh, you don't have to explain anything to me, Jason. And can I be honest? This that was the most boring day ever, even though <laughs> I didn't say so at the time. Um, <laughs> the, the, the flashback ends with uh, the torturer saying. What the hell are you talking about? This has nothing to do with anything. So Roy's basically trolled both of them. And then all of a sudden, someone grabs him by the throat and says, Tell me about Coriander right now. And it reveals to be Blackfire. It's been years since they've spoken. We'll be here next issue when sisters meet. Uh, but the issue doesn't end there. We get uh, a rather short backup story called Still Raging After All These Years. Written by Scott Lovedell. Illustrated by Ario and Anandito. About... Essence, the last article, the Untitled. And this is essentially a big fight scene where she fights some guy that she quote-unquote calls uncle um, and how she's trying to track down all the Untitled and kill them because they don't like humans for one reason or another. And the issue ends with her defeating him rogue-style by basically touching him and destroying him and disappearing in a puff of smoke. And somehow, I'm not exactly sure how this ends, but she brings home... Uh, a, a missing cop. We, we can talk about that in the review. The end. Alright, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 11. I'll, I'll jump on to what Don was talking about with the, the cop. She was bringing the cop from one of the previous issues, the woman cop who was killed by um, that weird gooey creature that took over her body and Red Hood was fighting up against her. Uh, she took the body of the cop back to the town so that her fiancé or husband could, you know, bury her or whatever. That was the point of that. Um, okay, so let's get down to the main part of the issue. Um, this issue right here cemented the fact that uh, after the Zero issue in September, we will not be covering this comic specifically on this it's starting to... I, I understand that, you know, Red Hood is in the book, but the problem is that the book is dealing with Starfire, with Roy Harper, a lot. And Red Hood is, is also... Like, specifically, I should say, Red Hood has been in the book a decent chunk, too. It's not that they haven't given him his, his time and his, his due time. But, the like, this issue has nothing to do with Red Hood. It's not adding to Red Hood and Jason Todd's mythos at all. It's just he's there, he's got this chick who he was randomly on a date with who suddenly got transported up to the, the ship. It's just there's no real reason we need to be covering this. The Zero issue is still promising, so we will cover that. And we'll cover next month just for the sake of wrapping up this, this story arc. Um, but for the most part... Uh, this is going to go onto the list of books that uh, we're going to stop covering. Like in, like previously, we stopped covering Outsiders once it started covering less of what the actual characters were. 
I understand that there's some people out there who aren't going to be happy with the fact that we're not going to cover it. Um, we're going to be trying to get more reviews popping up on the website, and this will be one of the books we'll be looking for someone to review. So if you are interested in reviewing the book, shoot us an email and let us know, and we'll get you set up so you can review the book on the website. With that being said, I don't have a lot to say about the book because, quite honestly, um, outside of Starfire being in the Teen Titans in the 80s and 90s and her dealings with Nightwing, I really have no real need to care about Starfire um, other than her history with the characters within the Batman universe. It's, it is interesting to see an origin of a character that I was previously unaware of, plus I'm sure they've changed it from the original origin. I don't know because I'm not as familiar with the character as many other people are. Um, it is interesting that the entire time... I know I keep saying it is interesting, but that's just what I say. Um, the, the fact that Roy Harper is actually narrating basically this entire story is definitely different than what you would expect because the whole point is they're interrogating him and he's just explaining this entire situation which is interesting but again not not as interesting as it really needs to be to keep my interest in this book so I thought the art by Kenneth Kenneth Rockefort again. I, I I enjoy the scratchiness of his work. I enjoy the detail of his work as well, um, especially with all the sci-fi stuff that's popping up in this issue and the last issue. Um, so the art I give props to. But uh, as far as uh, the Batman universe goes, this book is is worn out. It's welcome. But uh, but for this issue, I'll give it a generic two and a half out of five batterings. Well. <laughs> With that monumentous announcement delivered. Well, uh, this issue. <laughs> um, I guess I was jumping ahead of myself because I was so happy. Um, you know, a lot of the comparisons are to me are kind of between this and Catwoman. In that the, the, those are the two books that I really come down hard on. And from the beginning, with from the number one, Catwoman, a lot of those are kind of personal hangups. That doesn't inherently mean that the, the, the comic is all in all bad. It's just that I don't like a lot of aspects to it. Whereas this one, I really do think that there are some technical things that legitimately and objectively make this a lesser book. One of the lesser books in the entire bat oeuvre of titles anyway, because, for instance, you have Roy Harper narrating. He's just, you know, he's, and he, you, know he, you don't know who he's talking to. In the very beginning, you know, I'm the redhead, Roy Harper, my friends call me Arsenal. And so he's, it's just a basic narration that, that talks to really no one but the audience. But then he starts narrating exposition towards the, the blight and then he starts to narrate exposition of what Starfire said about her origin. So it's three narrations in one, in, in one issue. I found, I found that really confusing and really kind of like clumsy. I mean, because it doesn't make a lot of sense how he... I really can't keep that straight. I mean, I don't know, maybe people can keep that straight. I couldn't really keep that straight. It was still the, the same guy, but like the point of views were kind of messing me up. Um, and to be honest, like I don't think the story was that... Uh, well, um, here, here's the thing. I think that like this, at, at, at the basic level of, of this title, it does have heart to it. There, as much as they don't want to admit it, there is uh, a, a, a friendly connection between Roy and Jason and Coriander that does sort of like keep this book at a basic humane level. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's executed very well at all because a lot of stuff that goes on 
again, I, I made this complaint before. We're like, they're, we, they're told, we are told things, but we're not really experiencing them. It's like we don't even see like, the ships blow up. We just see the aftermath, the immediate aftermath. And we're supposed to be feeling all these emotions. Um, the scenes with Isabel were just so dumb. I, the fact that she's even in this stinking story is ridiculous. I could not believe. And, I, and I'm talking about consistency's sake. Do you remember, like, last issue where she was, like, you know, she was falling head over heels with Jason, who already broke up with her. So it shouldn't make sense why they were on a date in the first place. But she's like, oh, Jason, you're so funny. That's so wonderful. Do you want to go, go to a hotel? Huh? 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 And now she's saying, well, that was the b- most boring date ever. Huh? 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 What's the point of that? I don't understand. Like, why is she in this title? Why? That doesn't make any sense. Like, what is her motivation? What? Ah. And then you have the backstory of Starfire, which I kind of know pre-Flashpoint. It's the same basic idea where she was sort of slavery over a war. But this one, like, they're, they're basically telling us that, like, to end the war, sell this little girl and, you know, we'll, we'll stop killing you. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't... I don't that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like, like what is she sold for? Is she just sex slave? And she just sold just, just as royalty? Like, I don't, they don't really get specific with that. To me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I feel that we're supposed to kind of just go on it just, 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 for, just for convenience sake. But, like, we're supposed to feel Starfire's anger and emotion. But we're not given, uh, given a reason why it happened. Like, like the, basic, the basic question is why. Um, I don't know. And I found, I found the kind of, like, uh, and, and then the less said about Isabel's stupid space out form, the better. I, I don't know. Um, although I did like the last scene with Blackfire. That is moderately interesting. The backup story with Essence, I didn't care, so I wasn't really invested into it. Uh, I, I know people enjoy this book, but I'm saying there are there, there are reasons why I don't like it. It's not just sex and violence. I'm not that much of a prude. It's just, it's, it's just handled really, really stupidly. I, I feel this is really kind of a dumb story. And... Um, Coming from the guy who said Tim Drake wasn't Robin after a year after the fact, it's just not a big surprise. I had to get that dig in there. So I give it one and a half out of five batterings. I was just so surprised to learn that Jason Todd had never been Robin. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, you know, I'm glad that Blight, or the Blight, is just as annoyed with Roy's storytelling as I am. That was realism right there, folks. That's all you can glean from this book. It seems like every book nowadays has some sort of strange past-present story line going on. How many from just this? We've got Birds of Prey, this one, and what was the other one? Batwoman, three from this particular uh, episode that we're recording. I'm glad that we learn more about Starfire's history, and, you know, I suppose that it would make sense that she would not desire to help save her home world, but I don't know. I feel like the Starfire I knew, which probably the most I have known is from the Teen Titans television story, but I feel like she would still kind of risk a lot for for Tamaran, and she still sort of has a love for it. So it seemed very off-putting that, you know, she didn't really care. She she would let all those people die. Um, and, and who would think that Roy would give such a heart-raising and an inspiring speech to her? You know, first Damien, now Roy. I really can't believe that this flight attendant, yes, is an actual plot point, just as Donovan said, and now she's in war gear. It's like on Young Justice when they just change into their, uh, their, their, um, what is their... Camouflage night outfits. Yeah! 
<laughs> the black gear, like all of a sudden she suits up. I'm like, what is going on? Uh, gosh, that's all I have to say about the. Well, it, it covers everything except for her her boobs. I I, I don't understand that. <laughs> well, so does Starfire's outfit. So I guess if you want to be consistent, I, I don't really understand the backup. Hey, why why is this there? Why is Essence the focus? But you know, most of all, what is going on with the final scene? A woman dies by the entitled. Essence takes her quote home end quote, and that's it. The backup story is done. That's a little confusing. Um, yeah, I'm not going to miss this title. I It's the one title that, with Odyssey gone, I can basically make the least sense of. Uh, 2.5 out of 5 batterings, no love lost here. All right, so Red Hood and the Outlaws gets a total of 2 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our final book, Batman the Dark Knight, number 11. Written by Greg Hurwitz, art by David Finch. The issue starts off with uh, Scarecrow standing above Jim Gordon, basically telling him he is going to, he has some work for Jim Gordon to do. We then cut to Bruce, who, as I mentioned in the last uh, review of issue 10, is with his floozy of the week, but it appears she's something a little bit more than floozy, as she's actually a little bit smarter than most of the floozy he dates. Um, <laughs> He, she proceeds to say that she has a problem with the fact that he's constantly never around and he's not really paying attention and he doesn't really have a uh, very good memory when it comes to some of the stuff. Very common complaints when I you would be dealing with a playboy, so not real sure what she was expecting. Um, he is called by Alfred, but Bruce is called by Alfred and is told to turn on the, the TV. Um, when he finds out that Gordon was... Uh, was has been kidnapped and the GPD don't have, uh, the GCPD don't have a very good idea of where he could be. Um, they go to his house, uh, Batman meets up with Harvey Bullock, who proceeds to tell him that, uh, this is the only witness, but he's dead. Um, Batman runs a trace of some gas or some material that is on the uh, actual shower head inside of the, inside of Gordon's house. Um, heads back to the Batcave to find out it was Fear Toxin. We cut to a scene where uh, Scarecrow appears to be kidnapping children and using them for a specific purpose. We see a flashback of when uh, Jonathan Crane, Scarecrow, was a child and his dad actually experimented on him to find out exactly how fear worked and everything related to fear. 
Um, the girl that Scarecrow kidnapped, it appears that he is either collecting her tears or her sweat, <laughs> one of the two. Um, it's unclear exactly wh- what he's actually trying to collect. Um, he proceeds, the girl who was under the fear toxin, or feeling the effects of the fear toxin, once she is relieved of the fear toxin, she actually asks Scarecrow if he's okay and uh, mentions that his lips are bleeding. He freaks out and basically turns completely evil yet again and says, just wait till tomorrow, you'll see what happens. We then see a flashback slash dream of Bruce as a boy falling into the hole in on Wayne on the Wayne property and uh, being overcome by the bats inside of the cavern deep below Wayne Manor. Um, we see Bruce's mother comforting him while his father looks upon him disapprovingly. Uh, we It appears that this is a dream because Bruce wakes up and uh, suits up as Batman and goes to visit the girl Claire from the last issue to see if she will give him any kind of information as far as how he can find Scarecrow. Um, she, eventually, she eventually opens up once Batman brings up uh, her stuffed animal and she explains to him that the uh, the the van was named Hello Man. Um, she spells it out and it appears that that is actually the uh, license plate of the van. Batman follows... Um, the the vehicle's license plate to a specific address where he finds um, looking using some heat signature vision, night vision goggles he figures out where Gordon is and that Gordon is in fact inside the building um, as he's about to break into the building Scarecrow kicks open the door and blasts Batman with some sort of spray it appears to be a shotgun but it looks like it's shooting out gas but it's unclear exactly to what is happening. Um, Batman actually falls into a hole that is in the ground in the front yard, while Scarecrow jumps through a trapdoor that was set in front of the house um, as Scarecrow actually came out of a refrigerator. Um, Batman, as he falls through the hole, lands into like a coal mine car that you would find on a tr- like the, tr- the the car that you would find on a track in a coal mine, he falls in that. Uh, Scarecrow proceeds to say um, that he has that. Well, he proceeds to pull out his hand, which has got a bunch of syringes, which we can only assume has uh, a bunch of fear toxin in liquid form. And Batman's eyes go crazy as uh, the two of them in the coal mine car start f- you know, driving down the track. And that is Batman the Dark Knight number 11. Alright, so Batman the Dark Knight number 11. I thought this was a great issue. It was by far the best of this group of books that we had, in my opinion. Um, I like the idea of Scarecrow. I like Scarecrow a lot more with this story than I did with Scarecrow in the previous story that they used him for in uh, Dark Knight. And I think that David Finch is doing a much better job with this story than he did with the stories that he had before with, uh, what's his face? Oh, uh, the White Rabbit? No, oh, Paul Jenkins. the writer. Paul Jenkins, that's right. Uh, I think David Finch is doing a much better job with the Greg Hurwitz stories as far as the art goes compared to what he was doing with Paul Jenkins. It seems a lot more, it seems a lot more gritty, it seems a lot more dark, 
and it's 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 something that I think Finch really wanted to do because he it's, that's some of the he kind of hinted at some of that stuff during the first volume of Batman: The Dark Knight, but now we really get to see it with this story about the Scarecrow. We see a little bit of the origin of Scarecrow. We find out that his dad was actually using him as a guinea pig for some of his ex- experiments based off the fear. I mean, overall, I mean, the art was great. I thought the story was well executed. I thought Batman. The only catch that I, the only catch that I really did find was I find it interesting how easily Batman wanted to storm that building where Gordon was, just based off of the fact that he was there instead of, um, you know, formulating a plan of getting him and how easily Scarecrow kind of tricked him into not only popping out of the refrigerator but then Batman falls into that you know, basically the hole covered up with a blanket and then falls, you know, into that deep pit. Um, Props to Scarecrow for doing that. We're already making Scarecrow a little bit more of a a formidable formidable foe for Batman by, you know, kind of testing his intelligence versus uh, Batman. So overall, I thought this was was really good. Four out of five batterings. No! Um, I agree. Uh... I this is this is a really good run of this title. Um, it's very simple, but it's very effective in, in in what it's trying to do. It's just you know a straight up supervillain story. Um, Scarecrow is one of my favorite Batman villains, um, and did you know, you know the idea of fear playing on that? That I like I like his visual. I really like how Finch draws him with those big googly eyes. You know he's not very physically threatening, but you're afraid of what he's going to do, and that's why I like how Scarecrow is done most of the time. Half the time he's done pretty well. I like Bruce Wayne's characterization in this. He's less... Um, it's kind of different than what he's usually been played lately. He just, you know, he's, just, he's just Batman. He's just doing his thing. And I like the fact that, like, uh, as Dustin has dubbed her, the floozy has, you know, said, I may be a floozy, but Bruce, but, you know, you need to spend more time with me. And he can't. Like, I like the fact that, like, this, this girl, this Ukrainian woman, you know, uh, Natalia, you know, she, she may be fleeting, but she does at least have her own personality to where she doesn't appreciate being kind of like, you know, dropped off and or whatever. Um, you know, this is a very, very simple story. You know, Batman does the legwork, there's detective work. We see Scarecrow be threatening. Uh, we see his origin, uh, which is kind of different. I mean, I don't remember his father playing a, a role into it. He's just always been obsessed with fear, but I like the, the origin. I like, the, I like sort of like how the father was John, where we didn't really see him, but he did kind of like Jonathan Crane uh, as an adult. Um and I, I just like some some various parallels. It felt it felt right. I mean, this title is called The Dark Knight, and like the parallels between this and the movies are very very fleeting. It was just a coincidence that he was using a bat cycle, or that he had the flat, he had the dream of uh, falling down the hole and having the bats come up to him. I mean, that that stuff is sort of like like you know in and out. Um, I thought Fincher's art was pretty good. I mean, I think Fincher's a good artist when he wants to be. He can be a little bit overindulgent to where people don't really look right, but here. I thought he I thought he was pr- very effective, um, and I like the ending. I thought the ending was pretty nice, where he's just like, "Oh no!" Um, so I mean, overall, this is a you know simple but effective was basically the thesis of this issue. Four out of five batterings. Yeah, Natalia is like a mixture between Natalia from Goldeneye and Natalia <laughs> Kara from <laughs> The Living Daylights because you know she she plays the piano. Awesome. And and uh, Dustin calls her a floozy, and I I feel like she's more than just the floozy of the week, you know, as 
because, gosh, Bruce's have so many love interests in all the Bat books. So, but I don't know. I like her as a character. I, I th- she's not heavy or overburdening. Yes, she gives us a lot of information as to sort of her past in this issue. But unlike Charlotte Rippers, which I know didn't happen in this book, but, you know, it doesn't feel forced or too much because I think it fits the situation that we have going on. I like that she's not just another pretty face that Bruce uses and then sort of drops off. I mean, she actually takes him to task, and I talked about this last time. I mean, not too many people do that, I think. Uh, This is just a wildly different civilian girlfriend, you know, as compared to sort of a leveled-up girl like Talia or Selena uh, than we've seen before. And I don't know how long she's going to last, but I think she's different. She adds a, a different flavor to it all. I was beginning to wonder why Scarecrow was specifically targeting children, but it it all came around. And, and I like that we get to see his past, and it is different, but at least it connects to, and Joe's not here, to a father figure rather than a mother, uh, because Joe brought up the point that, you know, why are all these bad guys sort of having, like, mommy issues? Um, because, yeah, like we saw Penguin, uh, his mother sort of had... Um, damage to her her nervous system after she fell through the ice and then um oh wait did i say penguin sorry mr freeze and his mother when she fell through the ice and had damaged her nervous system and then penguin you know always had this close connection but the the father there was just really hateful and everything so this one was more of a connection to his father and Wow, pretty pretty gruesome there that he tested on his own son. I also like that it connects back to Bruce's past and that there are several layers to this story. So well done. I liked that the little girl showed some, you know, innocent compassion as children are wont to do and uh, to Scarecrow. And it just sort of made him falter for a moment. Like he actually sort of became a human almost and, and was like, oh, what is this? And then, yeah, became overly angry and violent i liked batman going back to the first little girl and being kind and trying to get answers but you know realizing that he couldn't do it that way and then really addressing her interests which ultimately helped her talk to him i love the panel with batman swooping in for gordon and scarecrow uh and kicking down the door with his gun um oh well no scarecrow kicks down the door with his gun and it's sort of had this like colonial feel to it uh with him just out out there and obviously he's in the scarecrow costume very ichabod crane it was it was sort of comedic and 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 awesome all in the same thing and then batman is falling down a shaft like in his childhood and, and crane is leaping in after him with this total satanic look on it the dark knight has been you know a losing book for me uh but these two issues 10 and this one have redeemed it and brought it up so high uh, it's a well done story scarecrow of course is slightly different but again they actually i think they do the character justice 4.5 out of 5 batterings all right so that's going to give batman the dark knight number 11 a total of four out of five batterings that is all of our books let's go over to john with bat books for beginners
and welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John, and this week we are looking at Batman Bane. This is the follow-up from Legacy, which, if you remember last issue, we left with Bane floating away on a bit of wood, and in that series, Ra's al Ghul had tried to unleash a plague upon the entire of Gotham. This was written by Chuck Dixon and was illustrated by Rick Burchett, who has illustrated Black Hawk, Batman, Justice League, and can currently be found on She-Hulk and the all-new adventures of Batman, Batman the Brave and the Bold. It was released in May 1997 and it reached 55th in the pre-orders for May, according to Comic Crop. It can be found cheaply on Amazon in trade paperback, as well, I believe, as being in Batman vs. Bane, which was the trade paperback that DC released because of The Dark Knight Rises, featuring some of Batman's conflicts with Bane. So, is it going to be as good as Batman Legacy, or are we starting to get Bane fatigue, because he's been around for quite a while? Let's find out as we delve into Batman Bane. Bane. Uh, please remember me, Mr. Wayne. It opens with a flashback to the end of Legacy, with Bane floating off and out of Batman's reach. And as Bane floats away, we see much more of his history. Bane awakes to see a giant floating nuclear plant pass by. He usually takes over the ship and tells the first mate to change course to pick up some of his friends. It turns out that these friends are members of the League of Assassins. Bane kills the leader and they decide to head to Bloodhaven for repairs. This will then fool the Coast Guard and they are that would be able to sneak onto Gotham and destroy it. During the voyage, Bane dreams of Talia who stabs him in the back and says that she prefers Batman, further cementing his hatred for the masked vigilante. Somehow, Nightwing is at the harbour, and he sees the super tanker take out the Coast Guard boat that approaches with a missile launcher. So he gets on board and recognises Bane. Nightwing tries to take Bane on, but is easily outmatched and captured. Bane enters Gotham and issues a ransom demand. This draws the attention of Batman and Robin who arrive and sneak on board to prevent Bane detonating the platform and causing a nuclear explosion. The first mate, who we discover is called Erica, visits Nightwing and feeds him. But she is disturbed and she heads out to avoid trouble with the guards. Dick, however, keeps a straw from the drink which he uses to escape. Meanwhile, Batman and Robin arrive on board. Batman orders Robin to get to the lower decks to defuse the bombs that Bane has placed on board to make sure that the ship will sink. Meanwhile, Erica returns to try and free Nightwing, where she encounters Batman and Robin. She explains that Nightwing is on board, with Batman deciding to find Nightwing, while Robin, now helped by Erica, is told to carry on with his mission. Nightwing, it transpires, has returned to take out Bane, who once again beats the living daylight out of him, only for Batman to arrive and take over the fight. Batman and Bane fight throughout the ship, with Batman clearly having the upper hand. Whilst this is happening, Robert and Erica start to take out all of the bombs, 
but are discovered and escape only with the help of Nightwing. However, they discover that all the bombs are wired to a detonator, and the League of Assassins have exposed the core, ready for its exposure to seawater. Whilst all this is happening, Batman and Bane carry on fighting, with Bane grabbing a rocket launcher in an attempt to flood the core by punching a hole in the side of the ship. Batman prevents him by knocking the rocket launcher down, and it traps Bane, who disappears in a massive explosion. However, Batman believes he is not dead, and the issue ends with Bane's mask floating on the sea, whilst Bane arrives on a beach, steals a car, and drives it off. So, in review, I really wanted to like this issue, but to be honest, I'm pretty indifferent to it. It wasn't that it's terrible, it's just not a classic, and I don't think it will really stick around in my mind much longer than it has to until it's pushed out by something else. Chuck Dixon, for me, wasn't as spellbinding in this issue as he has been in a lot of other stuff. He hits a really average spot here and often states the obvious. For example, there's a scene where Robin releases some steam into a room by cracking a pipe. And the bad guy says, where did they go? I cannot see. Which is kind of obvious. In a room full of steam. And it's, to be honest, a bit unnecessary. I didn't feel that he didn't manage to capture the characters, because he does, and he always seems to be able to. But I just didn't feel like I was being drawn along by the story. I didn't feel like the plot was engaging me. And... It seemed really stupid as well. I know comic books aren't designed to be super accurate. Um, I mean, come on, a guy can put on a pair of glasses and nobody knows that he's Superman. But really, a floating nuclear power plant? Floating on the sea. Because that's what you want, isn't it? If that thing capsizes, there is a massive nuclear explosion. That's not a good thing, or an intelligent thing to do either. It's just a really bizarre decision, even in the comic book world, where we have seen some odd choices. And, to be honest, I'm kind of feeling the Bane fatigue. Now, maybe it is partly because of The Dark Knight Rises. Bane has been everywhere. They've re-released books and everything like that, but... I kind of felt that this wasn't necessary. This is another Catwoman wheels of plague. It was an unnecessary storyline that we didn't really need at the end of the day. We could have had an exposition next time Bane shows up. Rick Burchett was generally good with his art. I didn't find anything particularly wrong. It could be inconsistent at times. For example, Nightwing appears to snap somebody in half. And when Nightwing, Robin and Erica turn up at the core, both Nightwing and Robin can look directly at the core, but Erica can't. Which is fair enough, you could explain it away with special lenses. However, in the next scene, she appears to be staring directly into the core, which I don't quite understand. Also, in another scene, Nightwing just appears to be casually leaning. I don't know why he's casually leaning on the glass, but he is. He's just resting. I think, to be honest, it's an okay issue. You can pick it up quite cheaply on the 
internet, like I said, at Amazon, it's there. I'd give it three out of five batarangs, and to be honest, unless you're desperate for it, I wouldn't really bother buying it. I know it fills the gap in, and I know the Bane fans will be on my back for it, but I think there are better Bane comics out there. So that's my review of Bane. Next episode, we will be looking at Black Canary, Oracle, Birds of Prey. So, join me for that episode next time, and I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. Thanks for listening. Alright, so that is Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you are picking up the next set of books for the next episode. Also, be sure to check out the Bat Books for Beginners feed on the website that has all of the individual episodes separated from the comic podcast. So, for those of you who are just tuning in to the uh, Bat Books for Beginners or the podcast in general, you can check out the Bat Books for Beginners if you are trying to get into the comics and try to find out the origin of Batman or the origin as well as we put it together pre-52 um, to the to the most current story that John and Nick have put out. So with that, that is going to bring us to DCU Spotlight since it is the end of the month. And we're going to start off with my suggestion for the month, which is Suicide Squad number 11. Um, I've suggested Suicide Squad in the past. Um, specifically, Harley Quinn shows up in the book. Deadshot shows up, but this was kind of an interesting issue because um, what ends up happening is uh, the whole point of the Suicide Squad is that they're being controlled by Amanda Waller who has a nanite bomb on the back of their neck. Without ruining the entire book, there is a specific character that is on the team for the newest mission who decides that she is going to set off the bomb herself because she doesn't want to work for Amanda Waller or anybody else and because of that um, she actually sets the bomb off, causing the entire uh, the entire airplane that they're on to blow up. And uh, the only way they survive is by having one of the uh, actual characters um, use his fire against the fire, and in turn save some of the members, but not everybody is saved. And they land on a uh, what appears to be an island or a coast. And they are confronted by some ancient Mayans, and they believe that they are out of range of Amanda Waller, and Amanda Waller cannot get them, so the bombs in the back of their neck are not to be un- are not attainable, making it so that they are living it up with the Mayans. And uh, basically, Deadshot confronts the team and says he wants to know who the traitor is, and also tells them that it's only a matter of time before Waller finds them. I won't ruin the ending because it actually is pretty good and I've been reading this along with a number of other specific books that include Batman Universe characters and I've been enjoying the uh, constant rotation of characters that have been appearing in the book Uh, so definitely check it out, Suicide Squad number 11 For this month I am going to uh, recommend Justice League number 11 um, Justice League kind of dips in and out for me but like lately it's been a bit of an upswing I think what they're doing right now is better than the first story arc where they were basically introducing a character by character having them fight there wasn't really much meat to that story although it was decent um, this one 
I remember Jeff Johns talking about the next year of Justice League and how they're going to kind of really be the team that they need to be, as opposed to just a team of people that show up and fight together. And um, we're starting to see the seeds of that in number 11. Uh, Steve Trevor is in danger, and Wonder Woman just rushes off to want to save him. And the Justice League says, well, we need to keep a cool head. And, you know, They get a bit, of a bit of a scuffle, but you see character development begin to uh, merge between the team and each of its members. Um, and it's, it is interesting. I mean, Jeff Johns, he's not my favorite writer or anything, but he is definitely a good writer. And he knows what he's doing in terms of this, this, this version of the Justice League. Jim Lee's art is always excellent. I mean, at no point has he ever not been on his game. And um, I'm, I'm really liking what they're doing. I think a lot of people will as well. Uh, the ending is pretty good, actually. The ending is, is a nice small twist, and uh, it's a good cliffhanger. So uh, please pick up Justice League number 11. I'm interested to see. I don't know too much about it, but I, I wonder if Wonder Woman, her current um, like book, is set in the past because I just wonder how they're gonna like connect that with her relationship with Steve Trevor because it seems like that would be an interesting storyline to get into. But I do agree with that recommendation. I think Shazam. I know some people don't probably read the Shazam back up in Justice League, but I think it's good. I mean, it's really different. You have to like get past that but um i think it's interesting how they're focusing on those kids i'm recommending something that's like wildly different just because it's uh sort of the past melded with the presence uh batman versus bane it's it's a trade that came out in february and it's collecting uh the original chuck dixon stories uh from bane two of them uh bane vengeance and bane of the demon and Bane Vengeance is basically the origin of Bane. And, I mean, he was born in a prison in Santa Prisca and sort of how he lost his innocence, which was in a very tragic way. It was very sad. And grew up to be the man that he currently is. And then Bane of the Demon sort of saw him start this quest to find who, you know, his father is. And that really uh, starts to intertwine with uh, Roz al Ghul and Talia al Ghul. And there's some shipping there for sure. And they're trying to find something. I, I don't want to spoil everything. But the reason why I'm recommending this is, yes, because the Dark Knight rises has come out and i read this trade on the way to san diego comic-con and i loved it two great stories chuck dixon i love chuck dixon he's such a great writer and it really ties into the movie i'm not going to say how but i mean i thought it was great having that background knowledge and going into the movie and then sort of something is just like totally flipped on its head and like whoa uh but thank you very much dustin for letting me recommend this but i i think it's two great storylines really well written keeps you intrigued and hey it's a great character bane all right so that is dcu spotlight let's go over what we'll be covering next time on the podcast very few books next time we'll be covering batwing number 12 detective comics number 12 Batgirl number 12, Batman number 12, and Batman and Robin number 12. So only five books. So if we keep on this current stretch of little news, which may or may not be the case, we might actually have time for a discussion mm. next episode. Uh, but no but no promises. <laughs> yep. Every time we say that, every time we say that, it ends up we have not enough time. Um, but with that, that is everything for this episode. So I want to remind everybody to head over to the website to check out all the daily news related to comics and everything else related to Batman. 
including movie, TV, merchandise, and video games. Also, uh, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. They're always Those are always greatly appreciated. And one of the things we're going to really hope to try to kickstart is if you have any comments about the actual podcast uh, on the actual website where the podcast is located, you can leave your comments right there on the uh, the page where the podcast is located, the pa- podcast article, I guess you could call it, or the podcast episode page. Uh, you can leave comments right there. Um, any any ideas for discussions, you can also leave there, or you can email us, and uh, we will try to get in a discussion next time around. So with that, that's everything. This is Dustin. This has been Donovan. Hey, man, this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Can we have also, a discussion? <laughs> what? <laughs> our, our discussion would be, where's the trigger? Where's the trigger?